Good morning, friends. Uh, this week's message, which I did not get an opportunity to preach at a church, is called Thrive. It's based on 1 Peter chapter 1. It uh, was prompted by a denominational pastor's conference that I attended in San Antonio this last week, which was actually called Thrive. One speaker, Steve Wagner, a good friend of mine, defined Thrive this way, to grow or develop vigorously. I really like that. In other words, it's about living a life in which you do more than just survive. It's life to the fullest, the life God intended us to live. It's the life Jesus talked about when he said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. It's the life Jesus talked about when he said, These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. It's the life Paul talked about when he said, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Well, friends, I hope you know that God wants you to thrive and not merely survive. So today I want to talk about how to turn up the volume in your life. And that begins with today's message, which simply is growing and developing vigorously. The fact is you're already at work creating that for yourself. The Bible says in Galatians 6, For whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. In other words, your harvest is your future. The seeds you plant today determine what kind of future you'll make for yourself. So the question is, how do you ensure a bountiful harvest for yourself? How do you thrive and develop vigorously? Well, grab a Bible if you have one handy and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And as we look at it, I'm going to share three things that came to mind as I read through this. Three things you need to do in terms of your future. First of all, think it through. This past week I googled what were they thinking with the idea that maybe I'd find a few good illustrations and boy, I found enough material to write a book. Turns out lots of people make decisions without thinking it through. Like the guy who got the tattoo, I'm awesome. Except that he misspelled the word awesome. Or the bald guy who tattooed the back of his head with a picture of a face. Um, I don't know if he thought that one through. But neither did Quaker Oats. You know, a couple of years back, they purchased Snapple for $1.7 billion. Seemed like a good idea on paper. But after the sale was complete, they learned that, unlike all the other beverages they own, Snapple had to be refrigerated. And Quaker Oats owns exactly zero refrigerated vehicles. They ended up selling the company for $300 million, about 20% of what they paid for it. Obviously, they didn't think it through. Or another one, back in 2007, a little girl named Shay O'Gorman emailed Apple CEO Steve, Steve Jobs with some ideas for improving her iPod Nano. Ideas like maybe you could add lyrics to the screen so that everybody could sing along with their favorite songs. A few days later, Apple responded, or rather... Apple's attorneys responded with a threatening letter informing this subversive little nine-year-old girl that Apple never accepts unsolicited ideas and they warned her not to do it again. I have a feeling that someone at Apple didn't think through the decision to sign off on that letter. Well, you can laugh or cringe at these things, but the truth is that, well, I have my own what-was-I-thinking experiences. So do you. Decisions we've made without taking the time to think it through, and we've got more in our own history than we care to think about. Often we think back and say, man, what caused me to do that? I mean, what was I thinking? 
Hey, what was I thinking when I spent that money? What was I thinking when I did that stupid thing? And if we were pressed, I suppose the answer might be, I guess I was thinking that no one notice, or that the rules don't apply to me, or that what happens today is more important than what happens in eternity, or that God isn't faithful and he's forgotten about me. Peter warns us not to make this mistake. <clears throat> in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, So think clearly and exercise self-control. Other translations I looked at say be sober-minded or be self-controlled before you follow through, think it through. Peter continues in this verse, he says, Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's saying, don't just think about this moment. Think about the big picture, about where your life is going, what God has promised to accomplish through you. Think about what you'll be, not what you were. Think about the fact that Paul said, he who began a good work in you were carried out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Think about the fact that Paul says we shall be conformed to the image of his son. Or think about the fact that John says we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Or think about these things so that you, as verse 14 says here in First Peter, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. So what I'm saying is, before you follow through, think it through. Learn to carry an idea to its logical conclusion. I mean, for example, if I do this, if I say this, if I buy this, if I eat this, where will it take me? I mean, if I plant this seed, what harvest will it bring? Paul was adamant about this. Don't kid yourself. You know, he would tell us, you can't mock God. And you'll never beat the system. You reap what you sow, so before you sow, think it through. Here's the second thing I saw in this text. Raise the bar. But nutrition labels have a chart listing the minimum daily requirement for every vitamin and nutrient. You need at least so much vitamin C or so much iron or this much zinc and so on. If you go over the minimum, I guess that's okay. But if you want to be healthy, you do need to meet the USDA-approved minimums. Now, we observe minimum daily requirements in other areas of life, usually without thinking about it. Subconsciously, each of us set a standard. I mean, this is the least I'm willing to accept for myself. But different people set the bar at different levels. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm not a bad person, at least I've never killed anybody? That's an interesting place to set the bar, isn't it? I mean, as long as they've never taken a human life, they're convinced they must be okay. Well, other people set the bar a little higher. They'll say, I'm a good person, I pay my taxes. Others raise the bar a little higher. Hey, I'm a good person, I help my neighbor. Sometimes, and I go to church. Sometimes. Everybody's got their own minimum daily requirement. The least they're willing to accept from themselves. Peter challenged us to raise the bar. Increase the minimum you'll accept. Set a new standard. So look ahead here at verses 14 and 15. As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Peter is saying we need to set the bar at holiness. Stop chasing after the things you used to chase, living to satisfy your own desires, he says, and instead strive to be holy and obedient. Perhaps you're saying or thinking, well, I'm going to raise the bar in my spiritual life. I mean, each day 
I will spend time alone with God, at least a few minutes in the Word and a few minutes in prayer, will not settle for less. This is my new minimum daily requirement. Or perhaps you could say, I'm going to raise the bar in my relationships. Every day I am going to serve the people I love like I've never had before. I'm going to encourage them in a new way with a new attitude. I may not be perfect, but I'm going to increase the minimum that I will accept from myself. Back over a year or so ago, I used to see these all-you-can-eat pizza buffets as kind of a personal challenge. If there was pizza left when I was done, then I lost. Now, my friends would go to the salad bar, what I'd say to them, you're crazy. That's what they want you to do. They want you to fill up on salad so you can't eat all of the pizza or all of the pasta. Well, obviously, this isn't a very good nutritional strategy, and my body ended up paying the price for it. But a year or so ago, when I got serious about my health, I began began by raising the bar. When, if I actually do go to a buffet, I end up eating a salad, salad first, and sometimes only a salad. When I'm hungry at home and tempted to eat the wrong thing, I eat something healthy first. Now, what was I doing? I was raising the bar, even if only a little at first. I created a new minimum that I would accept for myself. And you know what? It made a difference, and it's helped me to raise the bar even more. This is what Peter is challenging you and me to do. Raise the bar. Stop living like you did in the past, where you live to satisfy your desires, and start living as God's obedient children. And that's the standard we strive to achieve. It's not good enough to say I'm not as bad as some of the bad people I know. That's not a standard anymore. The standard is, according to verse 16, you must be holy because I am holy. Friends, if you want to thrive, and I mean really thrive, expect more from yourself. Hold yourself to a higher standard. Increase the minimum daily requirements that you set for yourself. In my office, I have a small little plaque, and on it's got a quote from Jerry Rice, one of the greatest wide receivers in all of pro football. It says, today I will, do more, I will do what others won't do so that tomorrow I can accomplish what others can't. He's simply talking about raising the bar. Well, third is act on it, or as Larry the Cable Guy would say, get her done. I mean, many make the tragic mistake of thinking that good intentions are good enough to get us where we hope to go, but they're not. Many make the even more tragic mistake of thinking that sentimental feelings are good enough to satisfy the requirements for goodness. That if we somehow feel a certain way, that shows we're basically good people. It's kind of as if God would say, hey, you felt sorry for those people who went through that tragedy. At least you care. Way to go. But friends, that's not enough. Peter makes it as plain as possible in verse 17. I, and remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He would judge or reward you according to what you do. Now you might say, hey, wait a minute. Aren't we saved by faith? Well, yes, we are. But let's be clear about something. Faith is not a feeling. It's not a knowing. It's a doing. I hope you see what I'm saying. Faith isn't something you stir up emotionally. It's not some bit of knowledge you store in your head. Faith is something you do. Faith, the kind of faith the Bible talks about, leads to actions. I mean, James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is a distinction that is absolutely essential for each believer to understand. You are saved by grace through faith. 
I mean, not by works so that no one can boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But then the very next verse says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Now, friends, we're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. So when the Bible says that you will be judged according to what we do, it's not talking about a judgment that determines whether or not you belong to Christ. It's the judgment that determines the value of your contribution to God's kingdom. When it comes down to it, the quality of your life is not measured by what you think or feel or say or by your good intentions. It's measured by what you do. That's why Peter said, prepare your minds for action. It all comes down to what you do. Now, another distinction I want you to consider. Many people, you'll notice, define obedience not by what they do, but by what they don't do. Well, I didn't smoke today. I didn't drink today. <clears throat> I didn't do any other bad stuff today, so I was obedient. Well, is that accurate? Well, not completely. I mean, it goes without saying that there are some actions you must avoid. But if your idea of obedience is wrapped up in what you don't do, you'll never create a thriving future for yourself. Peter tells us to prepare our minds for action, not avoidance. That means the center of your focus should be on the good things that you do, rather than merely the bad things you're trying to avoid. The right attitude is this. I have set the bar to live as God's obedient child. That means I will spend time in the Word every day. That means that I will give consistently to God's kingdom work. That means I will serve in a variety of areas. I will treat you know, my friends with love and honor and respect. I'll do my job even when the boss isn't around. I'm obedient, so I prepare for action. Since I know that I will be judged and rewarded according to what I do, I will act on my good intentions. Do you sometimes wonder what the future holds for you? The best way to predict your future is to create it. The Bible makes it clear you control this part of your life. The harvest you reap will be the result of what you sow. If you want to thrive, then plant the seed of obedience. Think through what you do. Raise the bar a little higher and expect more for yourself. And act on it. Do it. Decide what steps you need and to take and get her done. You'll do more than just survive in this life. You'll thrive in this life. Thanks for listening, friends. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.